welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up. It's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the show on the Nerd Party, where we take a look at all of the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we're going to be finishing up 1994 by looking at the movies released between December 16th and December 28th. We may be finished with 1994, but is 1994 finished with us? Not quite yet. Hmm. Um so, okay, let's just get started with December 16th. Yeah. Which uh, would have been, I guess th- that would have been a Friday, right? Because. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been a Friday. So there were three, four movies released on December 16th. The first was To Live. And even though I watched all these trailers, I can't remember what To Live is about. Oh, it's a. Uh, uh, okay. Yes, um, it, it's it's set in nineteen. Well, it's set in China from nineteen forty yes. to nineteen seventy or something like that. Yeah, I big think. epic family story sort of thing. Yeah, right. And it's Zhang Yimou who directed it. He's the guy who did Hero and House of Flying Daggers and Raise the Red Lantern. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it looks cool, but um, probably not the easiest movie to find and. There were some other movies released this week, which which I felt needed uh, my attention at least. Yeah, I, I I think with To Live, I think I looked for it and I either came up empty with like just one of those bootleg YouTube things, mm-hmm. or it I I don't think I was able to find it on a service, or it was something where like you had to subscribe to something. Right, right. And, you know, like it was obviously a small release, like there isn't even any info on Box Office Mojo. Yeah. But I mean, it was the highest rated movie of the week with 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. I would have been interested to see it, honestly. Yeah, I I think it, in hindsight, especially, I think it was the way to go. Mm. So, Um, but next up, Number 15 at the box office with $0.2 million and 55% on Rotten Tomatoes, Immortal Beloved. Yep. Have you seen this? I saw it uh, on video back in uh, the day, as the kids say, and I rewatched it for this. Have you seen Immortal Beloved? No, I haven't. Hmm. Hmm. So this is Gary Oldman as Beethoven. Correct. Gary Oldman... Post Dracula, you know, in a uh, uh, you know a thing where he gets to do a funky accent and play a crazy guy, uh, and uh, he, it, you know, it's Beethoven when he died. I have no idea about how historically accurate this is, but it insists to be uh, in his final will and testament or his final letter or whatever said he left everything to his immortal beloved, and so his um, attendant, secretary, whatever. Uh, he goes around trying to figure out who the immortal beloved is. All star cast. Gary Oldman is Beethoven. Um, that guy you recognize is that one dude, and that other guy is the dude. And then Isabella Rossellini is one of Beethoven's loves, and uh, stuff like that. And you find out, 
you know, essentially what is, you know, pretty much accurate, I guess. I don't I, I don't know because I'm not a Beethoven scholar, but like Beethoven was something of a jackass um, and had a particularly spiteful relationship with his brother, according to the movie. And um, do you want me to spoil it for you? It's been 25 years. Sure. His immortal beloved was his brother's wife with whom Ludwig was in love with first. I was going to assume it was his sled, but you know. Yeah, whatever. no, 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 no. Uh, I, this this movie is does not hold up. I remember liking it a bit more back then. Uh, I was younger. We were all younger. We were all a little more foolish. Um, this is really a lot. It feels a lot like a a movie that wants to be Milos Forman's uh, Amadeus, which is a stone cold classic of all time. And uh, instead brings in some of the sensibilities of Oliver Stone's The Doors, which um, I sniff out and instantly am reviled by because, um, yeah, I uh, that's not the way to go, man. It's not the way to go. So it's okay. It's okay. Right. It's not terrible. It's okay. All right. Well, number three. This week, coming in at number five at the box office with $5.8 million and 11% on Rotten Tomatoes is Speechless. Now, this is a romantic comedy starring Michael Keaton and Gina Davis Mm -hmm. about a couple of speech writers for candidates on the campaign trail or something Mm -hmm. along those lines. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah but they're on opposite sides, but they have an affair and blah, blah, blah. The trailer looked intriguing to me. It seemed like my type of movie, but the 11% kind of scared me away. It is from the director of Tremors though. So, you know, it's got that going for it. The, the 11% scared me away as well. Uh, but this is, you know, 1994, Michael Keaton's trying to recapture his, uh, you know, trying to, be something different than Batman, basically. Yeah. And recapture his comic roots. But. So number one at the box office. Yes. With $25.1 million and 67% positive on Rotten Tomatoes is a movie which I had never seen mm-hmm. uh, rather intentionally, but <laughs> decided that now was the time. <laughs> Dumb and Dumber. Yep. Yep. Uh, have you seen this movie? I didn't need to rewatch it, Mike, because I've <laughs> seen know. this movie an awful lot. I know. Yes. And what do you think? I I laughed my ass off when I watched this movie. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. I know. You you with your tea and crumpets set, you consider this <laughs> lowbrow humor. Um, but, you know, uh, some of us, we like the lowbrow humor of Dumb and Dumber. Some of us like the lowbrow humor of Kevin Smith. We're all in our own lane here. We're all in our own yeah. lane here. Lowbrow, I don't have a problem with. Like I said, mm. we were just talking about Jay and Silent Bob reboot. I, I think it's one of the best movies of the year, even though it, I don't count it because it's not Oscar eligible. Comes out on video January mm-hmm. 21st. Check it out. But this, I just don't understand what's funny about it. You, I don't. Oh, but I want to break this down. Well, okay. What is inaccessible about the humor? It's it, it's it's old school slapstick, and it's two idiots, and they're just put in these situations, and 
you get to laugh at the it's laughter of the strong man. You get to laugh at these guys who are just complete bumbling fools who just stumble their way through an adventure. It, it's like, you know, it's like uh, Laurel and Hardy type of thing, but just for, you know, modern modern day. Yeah, it doesn't work for me at all. I I, I was I did not find anything about this funny. Not e- not not even the scene when he's sitting in the bar and he's walking out and he sees the framed uh newspaper clipping from 1969 about man walking on the moon and he stops and goes, "We we landed on the moon? Awesome." That type of thing doesn't even make you laugh. The no, I mean, how is that a joke? It's like he's just dumb. It's just an, an idiotic thing. <laughs> well, what about what about uh, what about what at the end? Uh, okay, it's been twenty five years, so here's a spoiler for you. But at the end, when mm-hmm. they're having the big showdown with the villain, and it's over a briefcase full of money, and they've spent all of the money, and he opens it up, and it's all full of IOUs. <laughs> and it's like, oh, this is an IOU for a Lamborghini. You're gonna want to hold on to that one, right? Like these guys have this big adventure and they spend the reward money that's at the, the, the center of everything. And it's, I I think that type of thing is just hysterically funny. I just think it's, I, is everything in it great? No, but a lot of it is terrifically funny. It's just, you know, childlike humor. It's a lot of fun. I'll take your word for it. I don't know. I mean, like when, when I, when I was started working at, at uh, the the theater back in high school or college, I guess this would have been like five years after this movie came out. The manager and one, you know, like someone else who worked there, they loved this movie and they would constantly quote the the Mockingbird scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they would just crack up like this was the funniest thing, and I'm like. I, I guess I don't get it because I didn't see the movie. You know, maybe I maybe I just need to see the movie. But now I've seen the movie. And not, not 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 even when the cop comes up, he's like, "Pull over!" No, it's a cardigan, but thanks. Not even that makes you chuckle. I, I, no, no. Or or, I don't. or or when they're leaving, and the you know, oh he that guy over there said he was going to pay for it. Really? He said he was going to pay for it? Yeah, right over there. And the guy thinks, yeah, yeah, nothing. You didn't even chuckle once during this movie? I'm trying to think of a time where I might have chuckled. Um, <laughs> not, even, not even the tuxedos they walk in, on, walk in with. They don't even make you laugh. Or, or really. they're, no, they're, I mean, they're competing what, what to, to get there first and he runs up behind him with a cane and like <laughs> hits the back of his legs and knocks him down. Not even come on, man. <laughs> Not even that makes you chuckle. Not even a little bit. I there was nothing in there where I was like, ah, that's amusing. Like I can't think of a single thing, to be honest. But see, the thing is, I feel like this is this is a learning experience because you see this imbalance here. This is what happens when you and I have a discussion about certain, you know, Kevin Smith or something like that, where you're just sitting there saying, I, wow, no, I just, I can't, what, what are you even talking about? You see how, how this can be, this, this is like we're, we're, we're building a dialogue here. We're understanding each other. I think this is a beautiful thing. Okay. I mean, like more than anything, I just find it to be frustrating, frustratingly awkward. The movie, I mean, not the conversation. How is the 
movie frustratingly awkward though like like for example like when his tongue is stuck to the pole right yeah. like I, I don't find that to be funny i'm just like oh my god that's that looks really painful i i feel really when, bad for this guy when you watched home alone mm -hmm. were you overly concerned about the burn of the top of the head that joe pesci went through or, or it, it looked like it hurt, but I, yeah. I found it amusing. But then again, I was 10. Okay. So, Did, but see, but see here, here's a key is yeah, there, there's, there's a certain part of humor where you're allowed to let your defenses down and be that, that inner 10 or 12 year old again, and just laugh at the stupid stuff you laughed at back then. And this movie gives you permission to do that. Like you're not allowed to to just chill out and laugh at these sorts of things when you're you know out in adult society and everything like that. You, so you can sit down with this, and it gives you permission to laugh about all the silly things that that made you laugh before. Okay, all right. I I, I just kept on thinking about how I'm like, if if you were watching this 25 years ago and someone yeah. was like, the the director of this movie is going to team up with the writer of Night Dark what, what was the name of that movie? How could I forget? Not The Dark Knight? No. No, no, the Nicolas Cage movie. Oh, yes, uh um Oh jeez. Now you drove it out of my brain. But yes, uh, <laughs> uh, uh oh, no. For some reason I'm saying Downfall. I'm like, no, 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 that's Downfall. a Hitler movie. That's no, it, Downfall right? was the Hitler movie that everybody makes a meme out of. Um Oh my gosh, you drove it completely out. But yes, yes, the bad Nicolas Cage movie that we watched, the, yeah, the next like, level awful. Arguably the worst movie of the year, although uh, honestly, it was much more watchable than Dumb and Dumber. But oh, please. The, the idea that these two guys from, you know, who made these two movies in 1994, 25 years later, would team up to make Deadfall, is the name of it. Yeah, Deadfall. They would, they would team up to make the movie which won Best Picture at the Oscars 25 years later. It's a weird world, man. That's why Tom Hooper shouldn't give up after Cats. <laughs> I keep on thinking, like, what's the equivalent today? And it probably is Cats and, I don't know, The Rise Good of Skywalker. Boys. Oh, what? what? Huh? No, Good I was, Boys? I, I haven't seen Good Boys. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, the director of, of Good Boys going on. Yeah, with the writer of Cats, and together, twenty-five years from now, they. May, but the writer of Cats has already won an Oscar, so. Terrifying, terrifying, isn't it? it, it is Wait a minute! How is. can the writer of Cats have won an Oscar, considering Cats is just a, an adaptation of a stage play that doesn't have a plot? No, no, no. I mean, like, how can there be a different writer than just film version of play, right? Like. It's like it's like Hamlet with Kenneth Branagh, you know. Yeah, it, it counts, even though it's like if you change twenty percent. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You got to count like the scene where like Ian McKellen walks by a doorway and then just like rubs his face on the doorway. Oh, so like if you write an extra screen direction, like I think you know. I, it, I think it depends. I don't know. The, the uh, rules are weird. Yeah. They they do seem to be. I still don't understand the the soundtrack rules, um, or the the original score rules. Considering, you know, yeah. Williams keeps getting put in for the the Star Wars sequels, and I'm like, oh, but as I understand it, 
But I still don't understand how Godfather Part Two like got nominated for best score. I'm like, but wait, it's really just an expanded version of Rotus. Whatever. Who cares? I can't control it. Dumb yeah. and Dumber is funny. That's the moral of the story. Okay. All right. So that's that's uh, one week down. Yes. Let's move. Let's move on to the week of December twenty third, which there were actually some movies which came out a couple of days prior to that. On Wednesday, December twenty first, there were two movies which were released. First one, number fifteen at the box office with two point seven million dollars and ten percent positive on Rotten Tomatoes. Mixed nuts. That ten percent is generous. See, that's that's interesting because like it feels like this has kind of a cult following. Like I've seen this when I was like looking for Christmas movies this year. This came up on a number of lists of like the best Christmas movies and no. Nora Ephron directing and Steve mm-hmm. Martin in it. It's like I mean the trailer I'm not gonna say that it looked good, but mm-hmm. it didn't look epically bad. Uh did you watch it? Have you seen it? No. No. Uh, I see, I did. I did. I because yeah. uh, it was free on Voodoo. Uh, hmm. Which is Walmart's streaming service. They, you can actually watch movies for free with ads, much the way you can with Tubi or or Crackle or anything like. Oh, that, isn't Crackle ad? What, whatever, whatever. I can't ever get Crackle to work, but, um, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, free with ads. That's my price point. Sure. Wow. Finishing it was an endurance test. Yeah. It's aggressively unfunny. It's it's not just not funny. It's it, it it finds comedy, chokes it, lets it get some air, jumps on its stomach, and then just as comedy is starting to to pick itself up and walk away, shoots it in the back and cuts off its head. This movie is so not funny as to be a miracle. It, like I you know, I think of um you know uh, uh, Steve Martin when he's flipping out on uh, John Candy in the hotel room in in uh, in planes, trains, and automobiles. And it's like, oh, you know, it, it should be funny or interesting. Your stories are amazing. They have none of that. This movie is just. I mean, it has it has um, uh, um, Madeline Kahn, Steve Martin, Rob Reiner, um, uh, Anthony LaPaglia, Juliette Lewis, John Stewart. Back when he was a comedian and not uh, apparently a political sage or whatever. Back when he was just doing funny stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, other people in there as well. Rita Wilson. Uh, like, it's just terrible, though. Oh, and uh, oh, uh, Leif Schreiber is in it, too. Isn't Adam Sandler in it, too? Yes, he sure is. Boy, is he was, ever. Like, I saw the trailer for it, and that was another one where, like, just earlier that day, I watched Uncut Gems, mm-hmm. which he's he could very well be nominated for Best Actor or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow. Just, if you were to see this guy here in Mixed Nuts and be like, well, one day he's going to give a really strong dramatic performance, which is going to get mm-hmm. him nominated for mm-hmm. Best Actor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 1994. Really weird year, man. Really yeah. weird year. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, Adam Sandler is basically just doing one of his idiot characters from Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. is all he's, all he's doing. Uh, it's not even any character as interesting as like Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore. So, yeah, it's I, I, th- I think Mixed Nuts is terrible. 
I, I gave it zero stars. Do you know how rare okay. it is for me to give a movie zero stars, Mike? I guess it's pretty rare. I, I have uh, I have a gag that I say where um, if I find out that, you know, so long as nobody was accidentally killed on set, a movie deserves at least half a star. If I give it zero stars, it means that I'm ambivalent as to whether that was a good thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Woof. Terrible. Okay. All right. Well, go see Uncut Gems because it's amazing. And uh, I want to very much. I want to. And the soundtrack, I mean, like the score. Yeah. Like it sounds like an 80s Carpenter movie. Oh, come on. And they even use like Carpenter font for the credits. Oh, oh, what yes. that uh, that that Sarah that uh, Sarah font that um, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but well, the, 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 it was big in the 70s. It's the same one they resurrected for The Force Awakens and and stuff. That's I'm same? not sure. Okay. I, I, I was just like, this is Carpenter font. Okay. You know, yeah. Carpenter font. Yeah. Nice. I don't know. Anyway. Um, okay. So there's another movie that came out on December 21st, which got better reviews than Mixed Nuts, which I have to say surprised me a little bit. Coming in at number seven at the box office with $10 million and 24% on Rotten Tomatoes, Richie Rich. Mm-hmm. Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Beating up adults, yeah, continues. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this one, he plays Richie Rich, and he's rich, mm-hmm. and he has no friends, but he finds friendship through beating up adults. Yep. Uh, have you seen it? Nope. Don't plan to. Not yeah, a chance. New. No. All right. So Thursday, there was one movie that which came out. Uh, it was number 26 at the box office with $58,000, but the best review, well, no, it's not the best reviewed movie of the week, but uh, a very well-reviewed movie of the week with 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, A Man of No Importance, mm-hmm. starring Albert Finney, uh, art house kind of yep. stuff. Yeah. Did you see it? Nope. No, it didn't really look too intriguing to me, I have to say. Yeah. I don't know. So Friday, there were seven movies released. Mm-hmm. It's that time of year. Yep. Number 28 at the box office with $7,000 and a 54% positive on Rotten Tomatoes was Safe Passage. Yeah. This is a movie starring Susan Sarandon, and she's got a bunch of kids and, you mm-hmm. know, Mm-hmm. She's dealing with domestic life and all the rest of it. I, I have a feeling that this movie was released like this week to get Oscar qualification. And then it, you know, came out later on. Didn't really look very good. Uh, you, you lost me at Susan Sarandon, basically. Okay. Not a fan of her work. Yeah, I mean, she can be good, but, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. we'll see her again in a little bit here. Um, number 27 with $28,000 and an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, Colonel Chabert. Mm. I believe Gerard Depardieu is in this. I already did a Depardieu movie earlier this year. My father, the hero, if you recall. Yeah. Yeah. Maxed out on Depardieu. Yeah. I, I, this, this didn't look too good. Yeah. Okay. Number 25, 
movie that I wanted to watch, but I couldn't find with 0.1 million dollars and an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes, Death and the Maiden. Yep. Nope. It stars Sigourney Weaver and, uh, oh, you know, the, the Mandarin from uh, Iron Man uh, 3. Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley. Yeah. yeah. The Mandarin, his most famous role. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a, a Roman Polanski movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Looked kind of cool about, like, a guy brings home another guy who, like, helped him out or something like that, who's Ben Kingsley. And the guy's wife is like, oh, that's the dude who, like, kidnapped me or something. And they're like, wait, is is that real? Are you crazy? Or is it really the guy? You know, one of those things. Yeah. yeah. Looks intriguing, but uh, not easy to find. Impossible to find. Yes. Yeah. Number 24 at the box office with $0.2 million and 91% positive on Rotten Tomatoes, the, the best-reviewed movie of this week. Um, Nobody's Fool. Which I very much wanted to see and I believe is on Vudu. But uh, I wound up going out of town and was unable to watch it, but um, I've heard nothing but good things about it. Did you get a chance to see it? I did. It's on Prime as well. Oh, excellent. Um this is a movie. It was written and directed by Robert Benton. Mm-hmm. And it, it's one of those weird things because like forever people have been like, nobody's fool. Nobody's fool. It's great. Nobody's fool. And I was kind of like at the time as a 14 year old, I was like old person movie. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. I'll skip it. Uh-huh. But then a few years later they released twilight, not that twilight, <laughs> the good twilight. <laughs> okay. You wouldn't have liked it. Susan Sarandon's in it. Oh. Um, mm. But no, it's actually really good. It's like, Gene Hackman and Susan Sarandon, like Susan Sarandon's like a a movie star or something like that. And she's married to Gene Hackman. And then uh, Paul Newman is their like handyman guy who's also like friends with Gene Hackman. And it turns into like a murder mystery. Mm -hmm. And it's really well done. And like I saw that when it came out and was like, this is great, you know, but like nobody's fool was always sitting off to the side here, just waiting to be watched, you know? Yeah. And I, I never did. So I'm like, well, now's my chance. So I watched it and it's fine. It's not 91% good, you know, but I mean, it's good, but it's very kind of cliche, you know, it's about like, old guy who's always been sort of, you know, the type of guy who plays by his own rules and won't settle down and is a terrible dad and a terrible husband. Now he's 60 years old and he sees the error in his ways and he starts to turn around his life and now he's going to help out the people who he, you know, whatever, threw out whatever. And it's like, whatever, it's sweet, it's whatever, it's fine. But it's not anything like that you have to rush out and see. It's not going to change your life. It's the same movie you've seen a million times before. Do you think that the reaction to it was aided by the fact that Paul Newman was, you know, the train was slowing down? You know, do you think that because I, you know, I, I don't think that it's a controversial theory to say that sometimes these movies are embraced uh, because the esteemed actor may not have too many more movies left in them. 
And I mean, so, that could be. Did you, you know. see the trailer for this? Yeah. I mean, the trailer was like, for over 40 years, Paul Newman has entertained us with mm -hmm. his amazing roles in things like The Hustler and mm -hmm. Cool Hand Luke yeah. and The Verdict. And now he is back as an old guy <laughs> in one of his best performances ever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, like he got nominated for this, yeah. you know? So I, I'm, that's what they were playing on. For I, sure. I hope, I hope to see, it. I, I I'm probably going to double back and see this because okay. I I'm, I'm interested in it. Uh, it just, because it and the thing is, this is one of those movies where, like you said, it's been always sitting there in the back of my mind. Like, mm -hmm. I can't believe I didn't get around to this. That I watched Mixed Nuts instead of this. I feel like an <laughs> idiot. Well, it was a different week, so oh no, it wasn't. It, you know, yeah, you're right. You made them. You made a mistake. Yes, I made a uh, tremendous <laughs> mistake. Trust me. All right. Well, number 23 at the box office. You can tell like all these were released like to get, you know, the Oscar, but th it was like really small releases. Yeah. Number 23 at the box office with $0.2 million and 58% positive on Rotten Tomatoes. Legends of the Fall. Ugh. <laughs> Did you watch this? Oh, no, I didn't rewatch it because I watched it many years ago. Um, my girlfriend at the time, Aaron, big fan of the movie big fan just mm. oh you gotta you know you, the relationship's getting going it's like oh no this is one of my favorite movies you gotta watch it you gotta watch it okay let's watch it and i didn't care for it one damn bit yeah have you seen it no no i it's one of those where you know like i watched the trailer and whatever and i'm like this looks really bad this does not seem like my type of movie at all mm. i remember when it came out like you'd go into, you know, like Suncoast video or whatever it was. <laughs> Suncoast, yes. <laughs> it wasn't Suncoast video. It was Suncoast Motion Picture Company, Mike. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. And, you know, like they'd have like all the memorabilia and they'd have like the movie mm -hmm. poster oh, rack. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I still like vividly remember like that picture of it's like, you know, it's just Brad Pitt, like with his shirt open, yep. you know, just like sitting there. And I remember that being a very popular poster at the time. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, like all this stuff is just like, I don't want to watch this movie. I mean, but at the same time, I'm like, well, Ed Zwick has made some good stuff, you know, Courage Under Fire, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. But has any of it been good enough to justify watching Legends of the Fall? Nope. Probably not. It hasn't. No. I, I, I you know, it, it's one of those things where I even, I remember keeping my, my reaction in check. You know, you got to read the room. You got to know mm -hmm. when to, to keep it in check. And then just like when you hang out with your buddies later, you're like, all right, fine. I got to get this off my chest. Um, it's not, I, I didn't care. I, listen, for me to remember how much I disliked it 25 years, not, uh, to, I, let's say I saw it 20 years ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. I this is two decades and I haven't rewatched it, but I could tell I could recount certain scenes to you because they're burned in my brain because I didn't yeah. like it that much. So, yeah, yeah. No, the thing like, <laughs> like uh, I, when when Pan's Labyrinth came out, mm -hmm. um, the, uh, a guy who who worked with me and Max as a projectionist, like he 
came into the theater and he's like, Max and I went to see Pan's Labyrinth with our girlfriends. And I'm like, oh yeah, how was it? And he's like, oh, it was amazing. You know, everybody loved it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, Max liked it. And he's like, oh yeah, Max, he, he loved it. And then, <laughs> and then like a day later I saw Max and I'm like, so I heard you like Pan's Labyrinth. And he's like, no, I didn't. And I'm like, well, what, what happened? Daniel said you loved it. And he's like, it's amazing what people assume when you don't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. Very true. I, I still, you know, I, I always love recounting how much I hated the English patient. But one of my favorite memories of that was my friend Joey, who I've mentioned many times. We saw it with my buddy, Mike, who was with his girlfriend, Annie. Joey and I, dateless wonders. We were each other's <laughs> dates all the time. Yeah. And I, we hated it so much. And I, I've known Mike for more than half my life at this point. And I knew him well enough by that point. I could see it in his eyes and she loved it. And I could see in his eyes. It was that, please <laughs> don't engage me on this. Don't do yeah. this. Draw the fight. And Annie hated me. She absolutely hated me, <laughs> which is fair. Cause I didn't care for her too much. Um, but man, oh, man alive. She was like, Oh, that was so wonderful. And it was like, Mike knew to get out of the way. Like that that was probably one of the reasons Annie hated me was I was one of the few people that Mike wouldn't stand in the way of the blast sort of thing. Where I was like, oh, you loved it, huh? And it was just one of those, you know, you know, and Mike was there. I was like, oh, you know, it was, it was fine. It was fine. It was good. It was good. I was like, oh, I knew. I know what you're doing right now. So, yeah, I love that. I love that memory. That being said, English Patient is a good movie. So. No, it isn't. No. I'm 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 such a, a nerd. Like uh, I I needed to go like shoot shoot photos downtown for my photography class. Yeah. You know, at school, and I'm like I don't want to do this. I don't want to take photos downtown. You know, this, this is not. So I I I went downtown to shoot photos, and then as an underage kid, I snuck in to see the English patient. <laughs> I don't know. It's just one of those things that you, you do. Snuck I guess, in to when see... you're 16 years old and see. I know you. I know you haven't watched a lot of The Simpsons, but this reminds me of um, yeah, two different things in The Simpsons where they're trying to get Bart to go. It's like, come on, Bart, we're gonna go see Bart and Fink. It's like all these kids going up Bart and Fink, and then uh, there's another one where they sneak out to the movies and they go to see Naked Lunch and they walk out and Nelson looks up at the marquee and he goes, "I can think of two things wrong with that title." <laughs> so, yep, yeah, oh well. All right, number 21 at the box office with $6.5 million and a 55% positive rating, Nell. I remember seeing the posters for this forever, but I honestly had no idea what it was about until I watched the trailer. (laughs) And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Did you you see this movie? No, God, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> it's like Jodie Foster is like a woman who's like living in the wilderness, completely yeah. isolated from all of humanity. And then she's discovered by some people and one's a scientist and one's a 
I don't know, what is he like a priest or something like, I don't, I don't know. know. It's, it's like two, you know, whatever. It's like yeah. one is, is thinking like, and you know, on opposite sides yeah. of the spectrum or whatever it yeah. is. And now they have to decide what are they going to do? How do they introduce her back into, you know, um, the world? Yep. And, and how, and, and I believe just based on the trailer that the moral of the story is that um, she's going to teach them more mm. than they're going to teach her. Sure seems to be the moral, doesn't it, Mike? <laughs> sure does. Um, you know, it, it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, this movie does not look good at mm. all. But at the same time, it's directed by Michael Apted. He's pretty solid. He did The World Is Not Enough. He did the Up series. There's a new one out now, 63 Up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, that's that, 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 Liam Neeson's in it. Sure. 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 He, he did sure. Enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And the trailer is great because they're like two-time Academy Award winner, Jodie Foster, mm-hmm. Liam Neeson, who is in Schindler's List. Yep. Like they literally say that, like it's the star of Schindler's List. Yep. You know. Yeah. Like you don't know who this guy is, but he was in that movie that you loved last yes. year. He he wasn't good enough to get nominated for anything, but he was in that movie yep. which everybody loved. Yep. So you'll love this movie because he's in this one too. If you really think about it, and this is going to play into a, a movie that's uh, still on the roster before the year of nineteen ninety four runs out. It's kind of like the Jungle Book in a sense, but with Jodie Foster. Right. You're yeah. right. It is. Yep. Not a big fan of the Jungle Book either, but you know. Mm. Yeah, spoilers. Okay. There you go. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, so neither of us watched that. Um, but there is one more movie which came out this week. Mm-hmm. Number four at the box office with $14.1 million. And an 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. Still better than Mixed Nuts. <laughs> Street Fighter. Yep. Did you watch this? Uh, many years ago. This is uh, Raul Julia's final screen appearance, is it not? Oh, it might be, right? Adam's Family. Mm-hmm. No more Adam's Families after this? No. No, I'm pretty, oh. I'm pretty yeah. sure this was his final appearance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which you know goes down in history, along with you know Orson. What was Orson Welles's final screen credit? The Transformers, the movie. Correct. So you never know where you're going to end up. You never know when the, yeah. when's going to be the last one. But yeah, this is. I'm pretty sure this is his last one. It yeah, it's not not a good movie. Yeah. No. Uh, from the writer of Die Hard, though. So go figure. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes um, you just got to keep the. I watched on. the trailer and it looks cool. I was intrigued. Mm. I like the music which is used. Mm. Um, but I went with Nobody's Fool, and I don't regret that. I don't think you should. I don't think you should. No. no. Okay. So one more week. Yes. One more. And there were four which were released on December 25th. Mm-hmm. And then the one on December 28th. So starting with the December 25th movies, number 12 at the box office with $3.6 million and 24% on Rotten Tomatoes, pret a Yep. Ready to wear. Yep. Robert Altman. Mm. Doing his Robert Altman thing with the yeah. fashion scene in Paris during Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen this? 
No, I haven't. Uh, it wasn't particularly interesting to me, but I do remember the hit song, Here Comes the Hot Stepper, uh, from the soundtrack for this. I don't remember that song. Yeah. And I just watched I the movie. But now I remember when it came out, like I remember when it came out, I think, well, because like my local theater played it because they'd always play the artsy yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. But um, also I was taking French as a freshman in high school. Oh. And I remember my French teacher was like, Preta Porte, oh, if you go see it, bring in your ticket stub and you'll get extra credit or whatever, you know? And I'm like, why would I want to see this movie? <laughs> and then, you know, like six months later, I saw the player and I'm like, oh, that's why I'd want to see this movie because Robert Altman is a genius, you know? Hmm. And, uh, you know, this is very much kind of like the play, no, more like Nashville for the, you know, fashion scene not not really the player so much although you could say that it takes place in player continuity because there's two people who are playing the same characters that they played in the player hmm. harry belafonte played harry belafonte in both movies <laughs> and Cher played Cher in both movies stretch that was a stretch for her to, <laughs> to do that i'm gonna say it works so um yeah e I watched this movie back in college when I watched every single Altman movie I could get my hands on. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't seen it since, but I liked it a lot back then. So I was like really looking forward to this. Like the whole year I was like, and I'm going to end with Pret-a-Porte and that's going to be great. And I watched it this time and I'm like, uh, uh. Like, I mean, it was refreshing to see Altman's stuff, but at the same time, like, well, maybe the movie doesn't work that tremendously well, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. I think maybe it doesn't work that tremendously well. So the what is really interesting, though, and which I think you get a lot with, with Altman movies, is like the trailer mm -hmm. trying to convince the audience that this is like a normal movie. Yeah. Right? Like... Julia Roberts and Tim Robbins star as two reporters who are trying to get down to the bottom of this murder mystery mm -hmm. set against the background of this uh, Parisian fashion week. And who did it? Uh, it's one of the most fascinating murder stories you'll see all year. And Tim Robbins and Julia Roberts will figure out who did it. You know, mm -hmm. and then you watch the movie and it's like a guy meets another guy in a cab and he's eating a sandwich and he chokes on the sandwich. And the guy sitting next to him is like, "Uh oh, people are going to think that I killed him. So he runs away and people are like, stop that guy. He just killed that other guy. And then Julia Roberts and Tim Robbins are playing two reporters whose newspapers are like, you have to report on this story. And they're like, oh, we don't want to. And then like they accidentally through some sort of circumstance or whatever, end up in the same hotel room, hmm. you know, and they don't want to give it up. So they literally do not leave their hotel room. And the whole time is about how they are terrible reporters who, who don't care about this guy or who murdered him. And they're just going to stay in their hotel room and like like drinking sleeping with each other and watching the news and stealing all of their stories 
for their news outlets from like French TV. And that's just like something which is happening off to the side while all of this other stuff is happening. And then at the end of the movie, like the coroner is like, he choked on a sandwich. Nobody killed him. And they're like, oh, okay. Thrilling, you know? thrilling. <laughs> I, you know, it definitely sounds actually like um, the marketing team for any Altman movie. It was like a hazing ritual, probably. I was like, oh, give it to Bill. He just started. <laughs> let's see, see let's if see you what can, he can figure do. out what the plot is. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that the only two people in this whole thing that are, are who are like known actors are these two and they happen to be together. Figure out how to make them the main characters. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, whatever. It's fine. It's got, it's got a lot of good stuff in it, but on the whole, it's, um, it's a mess. It's not, you know, th th there's a lot of other Altman movies which have the same thing going on, but it's got like a cohesive center. Um, and this doesn't really have that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But you could do worse. Anyway. Number eight at the box office with $7.6 million and a 44% on Rotten Tomatoes. IQ, another Tim Robbins movie. Yep. I did see it too. Yeah. 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 What do you think? There have been a lot of Tim Robbins movies. Yeah. He's all over the place. Jeez. Um, no, I mean, I didn't rewatch it for this week, but I, I saw it years ago. Um, it's, you know, it's harmless. It's cute. It's a, it's a romantic comedy and it's, you know, got a cute enough premise. Where it's like, you know, these four geniuses are helping a, a simple guy win the heart of a woman. You know, it's sort of like um, just Cyrano times four sort of thing. Um, and what, Albert Einstein's in it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Walter Matthau plays uh, Einstein. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's cute. It's harmless. It's a romantic comedy. Okay. Yeah. It, it looks cute. Yeah. yeah. Number five. This movie is very interesting. Number five with $11 million and 92% positive on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, 25 years to the day mm -hmm. uh, prior to uh, the, the remake being made or being released. Little Women. Mm, yes. Did you see this? Nope. I did not. Okay. I, did not. I, I saw this a few years back, uh, but... Then just a couple of days ago, I, I watched the remake and then I watched the trailer for this one. Mm -hmm. And that was a really interesting thing, you know, because it's like, okay, I just saw this, this new version, which is very good by the way. And now here's the sort of like nineties, um, much more typical period piece version of that movie. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and like you see like the same scenes like playing out in almost the exact same way, but like through this different lens of, you know, like instead of it being sort of a, you know, millennial hipster kind of view, it's mm -hmm. like a romantic, um, you know, I don't know, costume drama view, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean this version is not nearly as good as the new one, like not by a long shot, but it's still not bad. It's yeah. just nothing special really. Yeah. It never struck me as anything special. That's why I never really bothered with it. 
was always just sort of. I mean, it was interesting because like I went to see the the new one with my wife and she had never read the book and had never seen any other version of the, the thing. And she's like, well, it's it's not really a, um, like like the story, you know, is, is pretty standard. Um, but there's like a lot of, you know, it, it does kind of like bend things in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And the new one. Like, I can't remember if the original did this or not, but I'm pretty sure it didn't. But the new one uses this, like, flashback structure, which mm-hmm. is really interesting. Very English patient-y, actually. But mm-hmm. that really makes it work very well. And there's, like, a, this whole, like, meta-narrative going on with, with the new one, too, which which really sort of drives the point of the story home in, in, a, in a pretty strong way. And all of that is not really clicking in this version yeah um but i mean it's still it's still decent yeah. it's just the new one's a lot better watch the new one instead that's all that's what i'm trying to say all right you know okay deal yeah. okay uh number four at the box office with 11.9 million and 79 percent positive on rotten tomatoes the jungle book oh boy yeah this one from the director of the mummy and Van Helsing. Yeah, which is better than The Mummy, by the way. That is... Okay, I haven't seen The Mummy, but if that's true, I'll never watch The Mummy. You've seen Van Helsing, but I you haven't seen The I saw Van Helsing in the movie theater. Me too. And I also saw G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra in the movie theater. That was bad. Van Helsing was also bad. I don't... like G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra was bad. Yes. But I remember while watching it thinking like this is a really bad movie, but the photography and editing remind me a lot of Return of the Jedi. I don't remember why I thought that. I don't Were remember if that high? was accurate, but it's bad. Yeah, I, no, it doesn't there's nothing about GI Joe the Rise of Cobra that reminds anybody of Return of the Jedi <laughs> or should. What, what what was the name of the second one? GI Joe Oh, who cares? Uprising. It was retaliation or something like retaliation. that. Retaliation. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, I I uh, I forget why I didn't finish it. It, it was, but like I remember being surprisingly like I flipped it on one time. And I was like, oh, this is surprisingly, and then you know something happened with a kid, and I just never got back to it. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, like I was surprisingly engaged in the first you know little bit that I watched of it. So I've always intended to go back. But man, Rise of Cobra was terrible. Van Helsing also terrible. Also very terrible. Terrible, I like Van Helsing. Mm. Um, I mean, Mummy is fine too, whatever. I want to see the Mummy. The the Mummy ride at Universal Studios Florida is excellent. Um, It's a terrific ride. It's a lot of fun. It's an indoor coaster. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's really well done. And and I've never seen... It's very, you know, it's, it's actually... It's it's pretty great because it's very meta because the the storyline of the ride is that you're there while they're filming the movie The Mummy, mm. and you find out that it's all real, and so you get trapped as, you know, mummy guy, whatever his name is, and is trying to steal your soul, and that's your coaster thing. So it's a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of fire, a lot of strobe effects, a lot of indoor curves, and it's a fun ride. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
my, my favorite my favorite thing about the mummy like because that movie was in like development hell for like years and years and years and at one point they brought on john sales to oh to write the script yeah and he's like okay here's what i'm doing i'm gonna set it in the modern day and blah 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 and they're like okay but we want it to be a period piece like the original was and he's yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> the original wasn't a period piece it was made in the 30s and it took place in the 30s and they're like yeah we want it to take place in the 30s period piece like the yeah. original he's yeah. like that's not a period piece that was modern day yeah uh, back in 1930 have have you seen the jungle book directed by Stephen no Summers? oh sorry that's what we were talking about yeah. uh no i have not <laughs> have you yeah a friend of mine disney plus uh, you know, this oh. is uh, no, no. Great. Disney Plus is going full Orwell and ignoring this. It has everything else Jungle Book on it, but this doesn't make sense. Why? So I borrowed a copy from a friend. It's a Disney movie. Yep. Okay. This uh, this is just proof that there that the this whole urge to remake your animated stuff, you know, Disney to remake their animated stuff into live action, predates uh, Ice Hearts era. So, you know, it's just that uh, they were. You know, the, this was supposed to be like a new updated adaptation. It's a Walt Disney Pictures movie. Um, Jason Scott Lee, uh, Carrie Elways, Sam Neill, John Cleese, uh, some trained animals, some terrible blue screen and split screen, uh, some awful CGI, and um, uh, surprisingly, uh, uh, Lena, it's either Lena or Lynn, Lena Hetty, Lena Hetty, yeah, 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 who played Mama in Dread and uh, Cersei Lannister in Game of Thrones. And like, I'm watching the movie, I'm like, where do I know this actress from? And like, I'm racking my brain, I'm like, was she one of Padme's handmaidens or something? <laughs> like, wow, why do I know her? And um, so I, you know, I looked up the, the IMDb and I was like, that's Mama. Oh my god! And once you see it, you can't unsee it. You're like, "Whoa, yes, that's her." Um, but the movie's bad. <laughs> I struggled with finishing it. It's it, yeah, it's not good. Yeah, Alina well, Hetty's great though. Yeah, At least that's terrific something. actress. Terrific actress. She, she's in Three Hundred, and she's yep. oh, that's she's Sarah right. Connor in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. No, but I I forgot she was in Three Hundred. That's right. Um, yeah. She's also in a movie called Gossip, mm, which is good. Never heard of it. It's, it's good. It's good. It's about, I don't know. Whatever. Um, yeah. I'm not going to watch this movie. Don't. Sorry. Don't. <laughs> it's it's not it's not particularly well directed. It's not well paced. Um, it is. It this is definitely from the era where, uh, you know, I think. I think we've said this before, like there was a time where like doing a live action Disney movie was almost like doing pro bono work for a lawyer. You mm -hmm. was just expected this was going to be on your resume at some point. Yeah. And uh, that's that's what this falls. It still blows my mind that Sam Neill is in this post Jurassic Park. It's like, well, dude, no, wrong, wrong move. But, you know, you know nobody thinks, paid, right? I, you know, nobody thinks it's going to be what it winds up being, you know, Um and Jason Scott Lee's really trying. Um, but, uh, yeah. Hey, it got good reviews. Ebert liked it. There you go. Siskel didn't. So, oh. 
There you go. All right. The final movie of 1994. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. December 28th, coming in at number 25 at the box office with $0.1 million. And the best reviewed movie of the week at 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, Mm -hmm. The Madness of King George. Yep. Another movie which I remember coming out because I remember the poster hanging up outside of the theater forever. Yeah. With, you know, King George running in his underwear through the yep. court or something. And I remember my parents going to see this, which was something that never happened. And I never saw it. Did you see it? I did watch it. Yes. Thanks to yeah. uh, Voodoo. Um, the Madness of King George is actually based on a play by uh, famous uh, British playwright Alan Bennett. Uh, the play was called The Madness of George III. I remember reading an article at the time saying that they changed the title because they were afraid that American audiences would think it was a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it became The Madness of King George. It is okay. It's it's fine. It's the type of thing where I would expect to walk in and see my dad watching it on PBS, and I'd be like, well, what, "What's this?" It's like, "Oh, it's about it's about King George. He went crazy." Okay. Um, it's got, I mean, you know, name a British actor that you expect to see in a period piece like this. Helen They're Mirren's in it. in it. Yep, Helen Mirren's in it. Ian Holmes in it. Yeah. Uh, like seriously, like the whole thing. Even the guy who went on to play. Um, um, the deep-voiced guy from uh, Downton Abbey. Uh, he's in it um, as one of the people that wants... And it's just, you know, it, like, it's it's a who's who of, like, you know, British people and actors. Or, like, seriously, like, it, British film at times in the past was like, do you, do you guys have any other actors working right now? Because yeah. I see these people in everything from this time period. <laughs> well, like, cast somebody else, for God's sake. Uh, but they're all playing villains in American movies or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, and it's, you know, uh, Nigel Hawthorne is um, George III. So, you know, it's fine. It's, it's a, and I'm not saying that like, you know, in, in the, you know, in in that like dismissive way, it's, it's a, it's a decent movie, but it's in no way something where I'm like, this is fantastic Oscar worthy stuff. It's, you know, it's decent. It's, it's interesting. It, it keeps you engaged through it. That's about it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, and, and ending the year on a somewhat a higher note than what we began, probably. You know, I have to say this about 1994 in retrospect, or retro perspective, if you will. Um, there have been a lot of really bad movies in 1994. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> That's it. Huh? That was a sort of, but you know, okay, no, nope. that's it. There've been a lot of bad movies. <laughs> yep, <laughs> a lot. Okay, yeah. well, I think that what we need to do is uh, have like one more wrap up episode where we give our top tens. Yeah, maybe discuss like you know the biggest surprises or or like the biggest discoveries or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, just kind of do that whole thing. Yes. Downfall will be discussed again, I'm sure. (laughs) So until then, uh, John, where can people find you on the internet? Look for Castle Junkie on your social network of choice. I'm very active on Letterboxd and Twitter. 
And you can find me right here on the network co-hosting a Star Wars podcast called Aggressive Negotiations with uh, with with my friend and yours, Matthew Rushing. And we've been given a lot to talk about what with the Mandalorian and the rise of Skywalker and all of these these things and all of these deep philosophical things to dig into. So check out Aggressive Negotiations. But Mike, where can people find you? Will you guys talk about my sweatshirt? I will talk about your Ewoks sweatshirt. Absolutely. I don't know if Matt has ever seen the Ewoks cartoon, though. Oh, man. I know. I consider that criminal. Yeah. I mean, especially like the the last episode or something (laughs) like that where they sneak onto the Death Star. Yeah, well, and there's... uh, just that he wrote some of it. That 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 theme song is all forever burned in my brain. We are the E E E E E E Walks. Yep. By Taj Mahal. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Anyway, yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles Three K, and you can also find me on FilmDamagePod.com doing a show called Film Damage, and on Trek.fm doing a show called tracks on the line and uh yeah that's, that's hey, talk about Bayham that you did for talk film society oh yeah Bayham, yeah. which i think right now you can only get if you subscribe to patreon but boy is it worth it we did a retrospective where we looked at all of michael bay's movies and we uh released them all at once when six underground came out and uh boy that was a that was a crazy a crazy time crazy <laughs> series and uh yeah i think it turned out pretty well i did it with uh marcelo pico and diego crespo over on talkfilmsociety.com so check that out good times also check out six underground on Netflix because it's one of the best movies of the year. So. I I hope to check it out soon, and I know I know that uh, eventually I will check out the Bayhem podcast because I, I can't pass up fun like that. Especially take a listen to the Island episode. I think that one turned out really well. Cool, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for this week. But until next time, be kind. Rewind. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.